Let's read God's word again. John 15, 1 through 17. And this is the unit that goes together. It's easy to stop reading at a point that would, would leave us in some confusion, but the Lord's not like that. He continues so that he explains himself to us so well. Follow along as I read aloud. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray and thank him for that. We do thank you, Father in heaven, for giving us your word. Both the written word, inscripturated, and the living word, your son Jesus Christ, our only hope. And for your spirit, whom we know teaches us and guides us into truth. We love you and pray that you would do a mighty work in our hearts now. Saving the lost. Building up the saints. Encouraging us as we go out of these doors into a hostile world. That we might live a bright shining light and a life full of salty, restoring, refreshing, 
that we, Father, might not leave as we've come, but that we'd leave more like Christ. That's what we pray for these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me remind you, we've been in John for a good while now. We're going to be in John for a good while longer. So let me remind you again, John's purpose in writing. From that first prologue, when he gives us instruction on who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Nothing came about except through this one, the Word. Who was it? The one who took on flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. What was the whole point? Well, he tells us at the end of the book that these things have been written so that you, that's us, not just the the believers, not just the church, not just other people at this time in the history of the world when it was written, given, but people throughout the time. Because remember, this is God's word and God's transcendent. God transcends all times. So his word is good for all times. What's the purpose? That we might believe. That's the whole point. And all the way through, John has done a wonderful job as he's put together these various stories of, from Jesus' life. This is not a chronology. It's a theology. And he puts it together to show, to give us reasons why we're to believe. And then, every once in a while, he tells us, these people believed. Then other times he tells us, there were those who seemed to believe, but they didn't really believe. And some appeared to the naked eye to be believers. Like back in John chapter 6, we read this. After this, many of his disciples, these are people who were there with Jesus. They were in that, in that sense attached to him. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And the, the, the grammar there is they, they, they no longer, period. This wasn't just for a period of time. This was period. No longer walked with him. In other words, they, they left to not ever come back again. But you need to remember the context for this. Jesus has just said before, before he gives the hard saying and they say, no, oh, no, I was... I was all in. I'm all in to being united to a Christ that walked on the water, that fed the multitudes. I'm all in. But when Jesus then says the hard sayings, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. In other words, you have to take me for all I am. You have to be all in or you're all out. They left to not continue any longer you say well my goodness sounds like they were believers then they were unbelievers no because Jesus has just said back up in the same chapter verses 37 through 39 that the father brings them to me and all that the father has given me I will lose none so we realize here just as John points out in other places there's a difference between professing faith and possessing faith I hope I've said that enough in this John series for that to become the way you think. The biblical t 
teaching of genuine faith is a possession. It's something we possess and he, he possesses us. It's not something we simply profess with our lips. It's something that we possess with our whole being. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so, that sets the context for us of what Jesus is saying here. It helps us through this passage. Herman Ritterboss, who was one of the preeminent biblical theologians of the 20th century, in his wonderful commentary on John, he He says that this passage, particularly the first verses 1 through 8, is a similitude. D.A. Carson, who's written more recently in a marvelous commentary, says that it is, is, and this this is basically the same thing Ritterboss was saying. He says it's an extended metaphor without a plot. It's there for illustration. And we're learning that the illustration goes back to chapter 14. Even though this takes place at another time, we noticed back as we read when I last preached from this passage two weeks ago, Jesus says, I do as the Father has commanded me so that, he, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So the, the scene has, has transitioned. But there's a continuity of the message. The message is so that we might believe, giving us a reason to believe. And so I'm going to say this at the end. I'm say it at the beginning. What he's doing here with this similitude, with this, this metaphor without a plot, is addressing what he's been saying in chapter 14 that backs up to verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And that's exactly how he ends this portion, isn't it? Did you notice that? These things I command you so that you will love one another. Back up in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So chapter 14, verse 15, we could say is a bookend. And the other bookend is right here in those last verses, 12 through 17. So John is basically saying this, that communion with the better vine, who is Jesus Christ, produces much love in the church. Put it another way. So this passage is about Jesus. It's about a genuine union with Jesus. And it's about the fruitfulness of those who are truly united to Jesus. And that fruitfulness is primarily seen, it's primarily set forth, it's primarily portrayed by the way we love him and we love one another. That's what this passage is about. It's really not difficult. So let's look at it. Let's let's look at these three points. Jesus is the better vine. We've already seen that in Psalm chapter eighty. In those verses that we read. As I said then, Israel obviously is the immediate reference in chapter 80 of the Psalter. Because it was to Israel he was writing initially. Israel was brought out of Egypt. They were planted in a land and they grew. 
But because of their sin, God dealt with them. But all along, they represented God's people, right? Israel, the people that he had chosen. Why did he choose them? Deuteronomy 7, 7 tells us because he loved them, plain and simple. Not because they were a larger group, not because they were better than others, just because he loved them. He has that prerogative to love whom he will. Paul illustrates it in, in Romans by saying it's like the potter working with the clay, with the with the, the potter working with the clay. The clay doesn't tell the potter what to do with it; the potter does with it as he wishes, because he knows what to do. Israel was the people of God, but it was collectively a type of our Savior Jesus Christ. Just like we on this earth are the people of God, but we're portraying Jesus Christ. Remember the imagery? We saw it in Sunday school this morning. We're the body of Christ. We collectively as the church portray Jesus Christ to the world. That's convicting, isn't it? I just wonder how clearly... And how beautifully we present Jesus to the world sometimes. He concludes down there. These things I've commanded you so that you will love one another. He has just said it. He just said up above there that we are to love one another. And this is the way the world will know that we are his people. When we love one another. Jesus is the better vine. Back in chapter 6, he tells the people that he's the better bread. Remember? He said, there was that bread that came down from heaven, but I'm a better bread. In fact, that, that was a picture of me, but I'm the better bread. He's the living water. He's not just water. He's the living water. And here he's not just the vine. He's the better vine. He's the ultimate Vine. He's the vine that all vines of the old covenant pointed to. We're supposed to be pointing to Christ as his people. Hebrews comes to mind, doesn't it? Because all the way through the book of Hebrews, what's it about? It's about Jesus is the better. And then just fill in the blank. He's the better prophet. He's the better priest. He's the better king. He's the better hope. He's the better covenant. He's the better everything. He's the better vine. So it shouldn't surprise us here that he begins with, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. Or that does bear fruit, rather, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit fruit. Jesus is the better one. And because Jesus is the vine and we have to look then at what he has to say about, well, what about those who are in him? And he says that several times. Did you notice he uses that abide language? Verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Then again in that same verse, abide in me. 
And then again in verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him. And then in 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And there, by the way, you see that you can't go to verse 2 and say every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, that that was ever a legitimate branch. Because he, he explains it to us right here. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch. Going right back to what he says above, that the father's going to cut him off and throw him away. Just like John has painted the picture over and over and has said without any possibility of misunderstanding. There were some who said they believed, but they didn't really. There were some who looked like they believed, but they didn't really. There were some who looked like they were attached, but they weren't really. And now, in this similitude, we're getting the same picture. Those of you who who garden, well, I'll illustrate this for you. Week before last, Carol and I are driving across North Carolina. And we we kept seeing this this beautiful uh, uh, looking plant off the interstate. And it had green leaves and it had these these little white looking blooms on it. So finally I said, we've got to get a closer look at that. So we pulled off at a safe place, got off the interstate, just off the edge. We walked down and Carol says, oh, it's just, it's just, it's, it's a vine growing on this plant. Well, then we realized part of what we were seeing was a vine, but it wasn't really attached to the plant. It was just growing on it, just hanging around it. But then part of what we were seeing really was attached to the plant. That's what's going on here. See, some of these people, they were just kind of hanging around Jesus. They looked like they were attached. Yesterday, I was out doing some leaf leafing, you know, or de-leafing. We had 4,360,000,000,000 leaves fall this year. Ian's nodding like, yeah, I, yeah, I think he's right. I was pruning something and I said, oh, part of this has died. But you know what? It wasn't part of it at all. It was another branch from another tree that had fallen into that plant. And it looked like it was part of it, but it wasn't. And I took it and I tossed it. I didn't prune it at all. I just destroyed it. I just took it out. That's the similitude. So let's, with that dealt with, if that had any confusion for you, surely that helps you understand, particularly the interpretive verse, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. That's a sad thought, isn't it? That people could profess faith in Christ. They could look like they're part of the body of Christ. They could look like 
and not be, and their end is destruction. But for those who are united to Christ, truly united to Christ through saving faith, now let's get to the point of the similitude. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because that's really what we're about here. Notice how he does it now. He says, every branch of me does not bear fruit, he takes away. Get that out of the way. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Who's doing that? The Father. In chapter 14, we've got the same relationship going. The Father and I. The Father and I. I say what the Father says. I do what the Father says. Father. I'll ask the Father. He'll give you the Spirit. And he brings it right into this similitude. The Father is the one doing the pruning. Showing the love. Chapter 12 of Hebrews, we have the same thing said. That because the Father in heaven loves his people, just like fathers on this earth, if they truly love their children, they discipline them. And so the Father in heaven loves his people and disciplines them. He prunes on them. He works on them so that they produce righteous fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus is the better vine. True branches of the vine are disciplined by the Father because he loves them. John wants the church to know who it is that receives the positive attention, and it's those loved by God. But notice, they're being pruned, and the pruning for the bearing of fruit is not what cleanses them. Verse 3 says, already you are clean. Why? Because of the word that I've spoken to you. You say, oh, I thought we were clean because of the work of Christ and by believing in Christ. Yeah, this is just shorthand. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the preaching of the word. So when Jesus says, you're clean already, you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And because we're clean, he continues pruning. There's actually a, because we are clean ones, he cleans us up more. That's actually the Greek here. Because he is, because he is purging, because he is cleansing. We get our word catharsis from this word. And then he says, you're you're the catharsis ones. You're the clean ones. And because you're the clean ones, he does this for you. Remarkable. Remarkable. Did you say, but... So so because we're clean, clean, he cleanses us more thoroughly. Yeah, and he does that because he loves us. Jesus comes back to this point again in verse 16. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. This whole thing is so tightly weaved together. To help us over and over and see that that he's the one doing it. It's because he loves us. Because you parents love your children, you continue pruning on them. 
For what purpose? Well, so they'll obey and stay in line. Well, yeah, sort of, kind of, but not really. So they'll bear fruit. So they'll bear good fruit. And so they'll bear much fruit. You just keep, you keep plying the discipline. Discipline by the Father is because he loves us. If you're in Christ, if you're possessors of faith, then you'll bear fruit and he will pay attention to you like a faithful vine dresser to the grapevines. Constantly, he will attend to you and to me. And why? Did you see why he does all this? By this, my father is glorified. It's for the glory of God. What's the chief end of man, children? Chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The pruning that the father does is so that we might glorify him. So we bear fruit and that fruit brings much glory to God. For this is my father, for for by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Well, We've been talking about the fruit, and we know it comes from abiding, and I've, I've emphasized how often, how many times he said, abide in me, abide in me, abide in the vine. He contrasts it briefly with those who do not abide in me, and he's back then, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done. And that brings us then to the third point. We'll be brief with this because it's... It's put together nice and neat for us right here. What, what kind of fruit are we talking about? It was interesting as I looking at various commentators. Every one of them said the temptation, particularly in evangelical churches, that is churches that preach the gospel and promote world mission, is to think of fruit singularly in terms of witnessing and telling others about Jesus and seeing people saved. And to do that is wrong. And they're right. But some of you grew up in a tradition like I did where that's exactly, you know, some bear 60 fruit, some more, some more. Well, it's how many people did you witness to and how many people prayed a prayer and how many people got saved? Don't want to quench anyone's zeal for telling other people about Jesus. That is part of what we're called to do, speak the truth and love to others. We want other people to trust Jesus and to know the Savior that we know so well. But Jesus doesn't mention that here. Here's what he says. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. One of, the, one of the fruits that we will bear when we abide in Christ genuinely is prayer. We'll pray. And we'll see God answer our prayers. But notice, that's not the only fruit that Jesus talks about. He goes on and he says, 
in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So just in general, keeping the commandments of God. Here again, we're back to chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So you see all this tying together. Jesus has used a similitude to bring this strong to their minds. I'm the vine. You're the branches. You're deep in me. You're attached to me. If you weren't attached to me, you'd be thrown away, decluttered. The vine growing, pruned on by the Father, and that vine produces fruit. One of, those, one of the fruit is prayer. Another is obedience, just living out the Christian life, keeping God's word. Now, let me say this. If you're going to keep God's word, you've got to know it. So you've got to read it. You've got to read it. And you have to read it. And read it. And pray and read it. Bear much fruit. As the Father loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. Verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. Wait. You're to abide in me. So that you will be joyful. I mean, I didn't just make that up. We talked about this again in Sunday school, too. By the way, that was just God putting this all together. that the Sunday school lesson would sound a lot like the sermon and vice versa. Joy. These things I've spoken that my joy may be in you. You're abiding in me. You're keeping my commandments. You're praying so that joy. Joy is another fruit of, of, of abiding in Christ. Some of us tend to curmudgeonism, right? We tend to be Eeyores, some of us, especially in the wintertime. But abiding in Christ is supposed to produce joy. Remember what one of the fruit of the, the, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, Here's another fruit. Another fruit. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Communion with one another. If we're truly united to Christ, if we're truly abiding in the vine, we'll enjoy one another. We'll love one another. We'll commune with one another. We'll want to be with one another. You can't say that you love Christ, John says. He picks up on this theme in 1 John chapter 4. And he says, if you, if you say you love God and you don't like his people, you're a liar. That's Wilborn paraphrase. But you go and turn there to 1 John 4, 20 and see if I haven't been faithful. You can't say that you love God. 
and live out there apart from God's people. You'll be with his people in his worship, in his communion, in his fellowship. If you're truly united to the vine, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends. This is another fruit of union to the vine. Friendship. Jesus is not saying something contradictory here. He says, I I no longer call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. We are still servants. In fact, we'll go to the new heavens, new earth as servants. Revelation 21, 22 says that. We'll always be servant, but we we are servants and friends. We have this friend relationship, this friendship relationship, this friendly relationship with our Savior. Is that remarkable? We're told that we have one friend who is closer than a brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you think you don't have any friends, even though you've got five billion on Facebook, you have one if you're in Christ. And you have a better friend than all the others tallied up. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a friend indeed. And he explains all this to us. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father, here he comes back around to the prayer thing again. All this other is all sandwiched in. He began with prayer as a fruit and he ends with prayer as a fruit. And it all hinges on abiding in Christ, keeping the commandments, enjoying the friendship of Christ. I mean, you want to talk to your friends, right? And he comes back to that again right here. True participants in Christ Jesus are disciplined, while pretenders are destroyed. But that's just incidental to this passage. The real passage is, those who abide in Christ bear fruit. And that fruit is loving one another, loving Christ, praying, and enjoying the friendship of a Savior. It's unparalleled in this world. So where do you stand today? Is, is your standing in Christ or is your standing being tossed away because you don't really abide in Christ? You say, well, how do I know? Well, we just saw how you know. The proof's in the pudding. Does that fruit epitomize your life? Then you're in Christ Jesus. And you're in Christ because he chose you. And so we give him all the praise. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. And ask you now to bless it to our souls so that we'll go out of this place perhaps challenged, convicted, examining ourselves to be sure we're in the faith. Or perhaps we're confirmed that indeed we are. And all that he's doing in me is because I am in him. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.